Hello, I'm Sam Leith, literary editor of The Spectator, and this is The Spectator's Books podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about Roald Dahl in his centenary year. This centenary year has seen a huge explosion of interest in Roald Dahl, from the publication of his letters to his mother, right down to various supermarkets selling their misshapen cucumbers as snozcumbers, a useful way of getting rid of surplus stock. This week with me are Lucy Mangan, the author of a book on Dahl called Inside Charlie's Chocolate Factory, the complete story of Willy Wonka, the golden ticket and Roald Dahl's most famous creation, and also the writer and critic James McConaughey, who takes a less enthusiastic view of Dahl than Lucy. I'd like to start, Lucy, by asking you, why is it that these books, many of which were written half a century ago, still seem to captivate the children of today? I think because they have a very elemental simplicity to them at bottom and then on top of that you've got this amazing child-friendly, energetic, uh, inventive and very idiosyncratic voice and the two things together, they have the, they, so you have the sort of traditional undertow um, still pulling them on um, but the, the, the voice, Dahl's voice, remains very modern. It's not dated at all. I'm rereading them now to my five-year-old 35 years on from when I read them and yes, they're, they're, they're timeless. James... You aren't completely a fan. What's, what's, what's your objection to them? Because they certainly seem to work on children. Yes, you can't deny that lots and lots of children like them, love them. Even my children quite like some of them. I have two objections. One is as a child or a former child, which is that they made me feel dirty and uncomfortable and unhappy um, and often bored. And as a, a parent, parent, yeah, yeah. I mean, some of those things, those qualities, the idiosyncrasy, the energy... I grant, I can't deny that creativity, but it's the form it takes, it's the uh, grotesqueness, the cruelty, uh, the coldness, and just the fact that the man will not shut up. Um, And this is where my other objection is, as a parent reading them aloud, whole pages go by where I'm bored to the point of madness by just the, it feels like a cynical rendering of words so that you know he, he loves lists he's in that you know that English tradition Dickens and going further back of, of just the, the the relishing of the outpouring of, of wordage but in Dahl's case I just kind of feel like he was filling quick pages to make a fast buck I, I mean the strange thing is I, I can totally get all that obviously I, I, I can feel that it's really interesting that even as a child you had that sensitivity and and, and vulnerability to I know for you so what is his, you know, very abrasive technique, uh, which obviously is, is what appeals to a lot more, sort of, may I say, normal children. <laughs> more robust unsophisticated, children. <laughs> unsophisticated children like me. Um, but I also think slightly you as a, as a child and possibly now as an adult, you're almost coming to them the wrong way, reading them in the wrong frame of mind, just as you wouldn't read, oh gosh, I don't know, Woodhouse expecting, you know, some heavy... State of the Nation address. Uh, you don't come to Dahl looking to be looked after, I suppose. No, but that, there's certainly a sort of darkness to them. Oh, but definitely. I wonder if that is exactly what you know appeals to children to an extent. I mean, it can go too far. My little sister barely slept in her own bed before the age of 13 because she encountered the witches too young and was scared with Jesus out of her. But is it, isn't what you describe part of the thing that children are feeling like there's something more adult here yes, going on. absolutely. And, and that's where the excitement, I think, of the books comes. It's, ah, it's, oh, finally someone's not um, patronising me by presenting a saccharine version. And, you know, it's got swear words in it even, you know, bum rhymed with chewing gum in Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Um, and, and there's a sort of darkness and a cruelty which we all know exists in the children's universe. So, yes, I, I do get that. I suppose there's a consequence to it where 
Roald Dahl is held up as the gold standard of children's writing, which I think has it's become uh, the the overpraise has reached such an extent that the, the, the dominance of Dahl. I mean, if you look at David Williams, the the, the biggest selling. Um, children's writer of the moment, who is, who is a sort of pastiche of, of, of Dahl. Um, and I feel like that is accepted in a way and swallowed um, because of Dahl's domination of the, of the field. That's interesting, because I feel about David Williams, about how, how you f- feel or felt about Dahl. I think, I think there is market-led almost cynicism there and, a, and an effortfulness that I don't feel with Dahl. And maybe that's a hangover, for obviously, from having read Dahl uncritically in my youth. It's, it's interesting about chul- uh, children's reading because that this is always the worry of parents and of teachers and of librarians, certainly back in the day when Dahl was writing and librarians had influence and power, that they do worry about exactly the sort of skein of, of children like you whose apprehension, if not comprehension, outpaces their, their emotional maturity and so they actually read more into mm. that than they're ready for. And it is all there and you were right to, to feel it and to see it. But for most children it really works because they only get what they can understand and what they can cope with because they're not reading almost at that at, at Yeah, high, He's so idiosyncratic, isn't he? That he's an odd model. I mean, if we're seeing him as a golden standard or you know, say, reading was, him backwards... Sorry, I've got... Yeah. I, don't, I don't think he's quite held up as a gold standard. I think he's held up with great love now because he's been around so long and that always mm. happens. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure he's ever held up as a, any kind of literary gold standard. Perhaps not literary, but, but if, if the things that are admired about children's writers, um, the, the sort of creativity of the zany. I mean, you, you use the word idiosyncratic. I'd say sort of zany. There's, there's that, this is what troubles me. Is that it's, it becomes the idea that real creativity means wildness. It, it means this sort of grotesquerie. Whereas for me, it, it feels now reading them as a parent, and it felt reading them as a child, that that was an obstacle to emotional engagement. And I suppose I, I feel that I want my children's books, as a child or as a parent, to engage at all levels with the world. Uh, and one where I feel like you're getting uh, only a slice, a kind of top slice of energy, of zany excitement, of... Uh, there's a lack of depth and resonance that I feel is just... I would just want anyone reading a book to have that to access if they wanted it. I think that's a very high ambition for ta- for all... I think there's... I think, especially when you're talking about children's reading, there's definitely a place for... I mean, obviously you want as many of the books they read as possible to have everything, yeah. because you want your children to have everything at all times. <laughs> but just like we read everything from, from Dan Brown to Woodhouse to, you know, insert your, your literary quality author of choice, there's a place for all of them. And, and Dahl definitely, he doesn't provide much meat. He, but he does, and again, this is more important with children's writing, he does teach children what fun it can be to read, and that was always his professed goal I think partly in a kind of self-protective way but he always made it very clear that he was out to give children a good time obviously that was partly part of especially the early objections to him but I I do think there's a a place for that do you think there's a core of I mean we've talked about him in quite an undifferentiated way and and you you, James you've suggested that his voice doesn't change but between something like Danny Champion of the World and The Enormous Crocodile say or I mean he's writing for children of different ages, he's writing in different degrees of realistic mode. Yeah, I think mode, he, does, so he does modulate for, for age groups and, and also as he went on, I mean Matilda actually when you reread it has got a lot of heart, he's, yes. it's his last it, full length book for children he's, he was not far off getting 
ill and he was already quite old. Yes, that's the one I'll, I'll concede. Yeah, because and, Dan, <laughs> and Danny, champion of the world. I might give you a bit of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory <laughs> if you really make me. But but I think you think you're right. The, the modulation is there, but nevertheless, there is this incredibly distinctive mode. Um, you could call it voice uh, that is a seam that runs right through all of them. And Lucy, I want to tackle you on on your own ground. You're saying that it's fun and it makes it fun to read. Um, on Not the way, for you. But, yeah. No, no. But it, 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 even as a child, I, there, there were whole passages of James and the Giant Peach, for instance, where I was bored out of my mind. Nothing is happening, and the, 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 the actual who wants things happening? I love. I love when when I mean I hate plot. <laughs> Let them float. Yeah, I, 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 it didn't. It, it, I found nothing to, to to get hold of there. These sort of endless conversations, rep- repetitive conversations between these animals that had no differentiated personalities other than a few shorthand caricature gestures. And the same with, say, the twits, um, re- repellent, obviously deliberately characters doing nothing, and to whom nothing happens. I mean, y- you can you can argue that that there's a place for a sort of light, fluffy bit of fun that exists separate from the universe but with the twits what what is there other than nastiness towards um people who sort of old ugly people there's a whole page about how ugliness is reveals um underlying poverty of character that you cannot be good and ugly no 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 no, no. the The point no no that page in 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 the twits is the whole point is that you can have technically ugly features but if you are a good person and happy person and you're the sunlight will shine out of your face and you will always look lovely that's the point Um, did the sunlight shine out of his face i mean we we've skirted so far the question of doll's own personality which obviously informs his writing to an extent i mean he does seem to have been what i think psychologists refer to as a complete turd (laughs) (laughs) not a complete turd partial turd. partial turd (laughs) I, i stand corrected do you think the knowledge that, you know, the various charges have been brought against him of anti-Semitism, of, I mean, he got sacked by his American publisher for bullying them. He was notoriously kind of rude and overbearing. I mean, do you find that colours your feeling about him as, as you know, he's sort of canonised as kindly old Uncle Roald with his big sandals and, you know, BFG-style height? Yeah, there's there's certainly been a, a good job done of smoothing out the, smoothing the edges of the of the public brand. But it's that perennial question of how much how much do we ask of our authors? Do we ask that they be perfect before we read them? And I I can't read American Pastoral again. You know, it's the, obviously Roald Dahl had great flaws, ones that you can't overlook with the passage of time, like the anti-Semitism and that kind of thing. But with the charges of misogyny and the, and arrogance, they're all very context and sort of era specific. And you, I think you're I think you're allowed to make allowances. For that kind you of can thing. accept that the books exist in the eternal present, and I, I, w- I wouldn't care a hoot um, if if uh, a long um, departed author was as anti-Semitic and as misogynist as most of the other people among whom he lived. It's unfortunate. It's unpleasant. I don't like it. But if the books don't bear witness to that, when we're reading them now, fine. Let, let the author be as unpleasant as they like. It's only about the books. Um, but I think all of those qualities manifest themselves throughout the books. The, the scorn for, for other people. I mean, you look at Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, um, where people with various, very specific kind of flaws are murdered for those flaws. OK, th- th- there's a joke to it. And I get that. And there's Nobody a morality died. to it. Nobody dies murdered. in the Chocolate Factory. But yes, but Basically. the, the, okay, well, the, the point is... Painfully altered. Painfully altered, thank you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but, but, but that runs right the way through... 
oddity. I mean, all his heroes are loners abstracted in some kind of way. They're, they're oddly vacuous, I would say. They don't, most of them don't really have any qualities beyond their single salutary qualities. So Charlie is poor. Uh, Matilda has this power. Um, but but, but all, the, all the villains are a very specific kind of nasty people that you, you can just sense the author enjoying squashing them. And a sort of that, that attitude to the world that it's full of horrible people apart from the protagonist stroke author themselves. What do you say to that, Lucy? I'd say that's the, that's the basic construct of most stories, isn't it? I mean, then you... You know, you decorate on top of that. I mean, Charlie, something like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or James and the Giant Beach, they're essentially fables, fairy tales. I mean, you were saying earlier, um, before we started, Sam, that they're, there's something almost medieval about them. There's that morality play quality. Yeah. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory particularly, because yeah, structurally just... the, Exactly, they just come in and out and get, get gone. They're, they're just emblematic of virtues and vices. Um, and obviously he chose the vices he most enjoyed hating for his characters. And again, times change, and you go, oh, it's, it's a bit fat-shaming, that, uh, that chocolate <laughs> river event, and all the rest of it. But at the same time, if you, if you can't hold up greed as a, as a besetting sin, and we start from there, you're not left with very much to write about. Mm. And, and, I, and I think, sorry, I think a lot of the criticisms over the years have been misguided. I mean, there's, there's stuff about sort of misogyny in, in The Witches, for example, which you know, was, the, was the great one in my um, youth. Witches are women. This is, is historically true, and his witches are no worse than anyone else's. And he was drawing on a lot of his own uh, sort of Norwegian folktale. It's not background. just the witches, though, is it, Lucy? I mean, the Matilda, the monstrous teacher. I mean, the, the, the monstrous oppressors do tend to be women in Dull. I mean, okay, the twits you've got a Mister and a Missus, but question? Yes, there's Spiker and Sponge. And Spiker James and Sponge. Yeah. Yeah. The, the aunts. Uh, fantastic Mr Fox, I'm, I'm going to give you a counterexample, but, uh, but, but there is a preponderance of dominant, powerful, ugly, fat women um, that the hero must destroy. But again, that's, he, he, this, part of it is to do with the need to create a real villain by transgressing the stereotype, which is of the nice woman and you know, protective mother. Miss Honey. Thing. Miss Honey, who is also in Matilda. You, mm. know, you say he That's does, he does bad women, yeah. but you know, he has the grandmother in the, in the witches. He's not a grandfather in the witches. Um, there's lovely Miss Honey. Uh, there's equally bad parents in Matilda. Uh, and also there's the, with Mrs. Trunch, Miss Trunchbull. Miss Trunchbull. Is she, is she meaningfully female? She's just a monolithic villain. Oh, I disagree. I think her femininity is crucial because it's, it's by being a masculine woman that makes her so unacceptable. That's the problem with her. She's not feminine. And, and that's the kind of really sticks in, you know... But, but perhaps, I mean, is there a case to be made, say, that the blandness of the characters is something that allows the child to protect... You know, the goodies sort of want to be bland in the same way I think it was Elmore Leonard said, you never describe that you're protagonist so that the you know reader can fill themselves into the, to it and that you know if you're writing for children the most important figure in the child's life is going to be the mother by and large as a sort of archetype and so the idea of a monstrous mother or a mother that's gone wrong is going to be a sort of way of hot wiring that child's emotions perhaps cynically i'm not i'm nodding wildly and, and find it difficult to i suppose the blankness it was one thing to have a blank screen to allow the child to project it's a different thing for that blankness to be an emotional absence. Um, not an emotional absence as in the mother is not there, but the, the, the actual core of uh, humanity that kind of makes the world an interesting place seems attenuated in Dahl to me. And that's really 
my fundamental objection is where is the love where's the heart yeah, yeah. no he wasn't he wasn't writing from the heart in that in that sense i i totally agree but i i don't agree with the the argument that that everybody needs to or that everyone needs to to read that all the time it's enough sometimes just to have a bit of extreme breathless fun with I, your is it, is it that fun <laughs> i mean wandering it's around on other children it's will tend to agree that it's fun, fun for, for children who maybe aren't ready or not in the mood for learning too much about humanity sometimes you need to escape from humanity that's why we read dan brown and have a laugh right. at all the other things do either of you rate the adult work because i mean he only started writing children's stories again we think of him retrospectively as this children's writer but he was in his mid-40s when he published his first children's book and before that he was this sort of quite adult short story writer i think they betray many of the same qualities that i find objectionable in, in the children's work. I mean, if you look particularly, I think the really interesting example is the sort of semi-pornographic work. Um, so my Uncle Oswald. Exactly. Stuff, yeah. um, where those qualities, I mean, that, that's the, the point of pornography. There's a sort of uh, glossy surface and a nastiness. Um, and, uh, uh, if you're doing it right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a delight in punishment. I could go on. Yeah. Um, but, but it's the same... The same motivating, and, and that's that's what troubled me as a kid. I just felt that the mind behind these stories was bent on doing things that I didn't want to be a part of, that made me feel a bit bit a bit begrimed. And I think that that's that's the theme, and you can see that throughout the adult and the children's work. Yeah. Do you feel no, begrimed I... by his smut? <laughs> I haven't been that lucky. No, um, I totally get, and I'm, and I I recognise that feeling totally and I had it I got it from other books when I was a bit older and it, it's hard because I think you know you felt it at that age and it was and is therefore undoubtedly there I can't feel that's true for the majority of children I can't feel that he intended that no that's a claim too far I, and I, I'm not no no I know it's just but just in abuse in, in no no his, his I know work. no I didn't mean to <laughs> suggest that you were but I, I think it matters when we're considering whether to keep your children away from it I suppose yes and there I'd have to totally concede to you that it is unquestionable that hundreds of thousands, probably millions of children, have found great pleasure in reading. And, and mine, you know, we, we, we read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with, apart from the longers that I objected to in the, in the sense of nonsense, with a lot of pleasure. And, and, and there I have to concede. I can't... Is, that, is the question of whether you think any reading is better than no reading or better than television? And I possible exception of the Gossip Girl books, I would... I would... The Rainbow Fairies, I will, I will raise you. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely that's fair, that's pernicious. fair. Um... A podcast for another time. I'd like, I'd like to sit in the spectator offices and talk about the Rainbow Fairies, definitely. We'll have a crossover fiction with the Rainbow Fairies meet the twits. <laughs> I suppose, Lisa, the, the question would be, will, is Roald Dahl responsible for making lots of children enjoy reading, or is he responsible for making them read Roald Dahl rather than other books that I would rather they were reading? And it's, it's unanswerable. I, I, just, I suppose at this moment of an anniversary, I would just like to pull back a little bit and say that you don't just have to buy your child every single book in the whole Roald Dahl canon. There are lots of other books out there. There are also books by writers writing now and writing really interesting books. I mean, David Williams actually, I think, has some fine qualities. Um, Lucy's rolling her eyes for the tape, um, <laughs> despite the objections. But, you know, I mean, I just read Skellig, David Armand. It's a magnificent book, which has all the kind of idiosyncratic creativity of Dahl, the oddness of it, the weirdness, and yet has as much depth as any adult novel. And I sort of think, well, read that instead. Oh, completely, but you can't expect children, as you can't expect any person, to only read stuff of the quality of, of something like Skellig. 
um, especially uh, it's not not for it's a slightly older age group as well. It is pretty young. That's a fact. But yes, it, you, you again, you want them to be reading only the books, just as you want them only to be eating organic, spiralised whatever. Um, you're, you're not going to. I'm a child living in snow. Well, I think I mean I could perhaps conclude with a quote from Roald Dahl which renders the preceding podcast possibly a waste of time in the first place he said, up to now a whole lot of grown-ups have written reviews but none of them have really known what they're talking about because a grown-up talking about a children's book is like a man talking about a woman's hat thank you um, to both my guests Lucy Mangan and James McConaughey and what have we said, I think Roald Dahl's future is pretty well assured, thank you thanks for listening and if you enjoyed this do subscribe to our feed at iTunes.